Well, buongiorno. That's weak. Come on, nothing. Howdy. You know, it's good to be back. Good to be here. Looking forward to worshiping with you today. I want to say thank you for uh, following us on uh, Instagram and reading the blog and celebrating with us this trip and the birth of our granddaughter. Had a great time, a lot of good experiences, and be sharing different parts of the of the story with you in the weeks to come. But just wanted to thank you for praying for us. I know many of you were praying for our safety, praying for uh, a healthy birth, praying for uh, Jacqueline and her family, and for us to rest and just have good experiences. And I appreciate that very, very much, Monice. And I just wanted to say thank you for praying for us. Continue to pray. We're adjusting to being back on the, this side of the globe and difference in time zones and um, and uh, realizing what time it is and our body matching up with the clock and all of that. And I'm having a little bit of a sore throat this morning, so I do appreciate you continuing to pray. So I said we had a good vacation, enjoyed um, a lot of experiences. And one of our favorite things was seeing places we'd heard about all of our life and places we'd studied in history. Monisa and I both, our favorite tour site or historical site was the Roman Colosseum where the, the Roman games took place and the gladiators fought and all of that. And um, how many of you have ever been there and seen the Colosseum? How many of you have ever been there? I, I tell you, it was really encouraging to me, a blessing to me on the blog especially. Some of our older members, who were, more of them are in the first service, uh, were commenting about trips they'd taken uh, in years past in places they had seen and sharing stories with me. Some of them were their spouses now in heaven. And that was a real blessing just uh, connecting with them that way, but that place is massive and it is impressive. And if you ever get a chance to see it, I would encourage you to do so. We we toured every level from the from the very ground level that's not normally open to the public to the very top. Went twice, loved it. I also have to tell you we enjoyed Pompeii, that city that was destroyed and buried for centuries by the eruption of Vesuvius, the the volcano. And of course, over the last century they've excavated it, and that's just one of the many streets. In Pompeii, I was surprised at how large it was, about 500 stores or shops and plus homes and government buildings and, 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 and an amphitheater that was very, very large. It's just amazing to think about that place being covered uh, by volcanic eruption and buried for centuries, and, and we really enjoyed seeing that. Now, for me, and those of you who read my blog know this, um, the most meaningful experience for me spiritually was uh, at Circus Maximus. How many of you remember the movie Ben-Hur? Some of you younger ones may never have seen that. Where the chariots raced and in the middle of the track is this elevated place with monuments and so on. That's what Circus Maximus is. And that's the remains of it. Not much there in terms of ruins. One end they're excavating a little bit. But I'm pointing to the tracks on either side where the chariots raced. And I'm standing on that elevated section where the monuments used to be. Today it's a public park. But the reason that was so meaningful for me personally is that's the place where Christians were first martyred in mass numbers by the Romans. It wasn't the Colosseum. It was a Circus Maximus where the chariots raced. And on the hill to what would be my left was the, the, the imperial palace. And the emperor could very easily watch everything happening at Circus Maximus and the Christians being murdered because they were followers of Jesus Christ. And standing on that, on that dirt, if you will, on that ground, that today is just a public park, 
knowing that brothers and sisters in Christ by the thousands lost their lives there. It was just a, a very moving experience for me, and I, uh, I had to pray some. And God just touched my heart. We also obviously enjoyed being with Jacqueline and, and our daughter and, and her family. And Liam, um, as cute as ever, and um, still Paul's boy, and uh, doing well. And we made it in time for Liliana's birth. We, we spent five nights in Rome and three in Florence and rode the train from Florence to Venice and ended up to Sicile where they live and got off the train about 4.30 or something on Saturday afternoon. Monisa was able to rush to the hospital and a little after 9 or so that evening Liliana was born and so she had the privilege of being there in the room when our granddaughter was born. So that was a, a great blessing and, uh, and didn't know if that would work out or not. But it did. And there's many, many other things I could share with you that we enjoyed. I also have to tell you there were some things I didn't particularly care for about Italy. Um, Most, uh, well, that. Public toilets. There aren't many in the first place. And, uh, for instance, in Rome, there's water, good, cool water running through fountains everywhere. And so you carry your water bottle because it's hot. You're walking a lot and you get thirsty. Just refill your water bottles. The water's safe. That's great. But there's no place to do your business after you drink all that water. A limited number of public toilets, and they call them toilets in in much of Europe. And the ones that are available, if you go to a restaurant, you have to buy something. And most of the public ones you have to pay to use, and they look sort of like that. Or they may be elevated, but no seat. Men, women, doesn't matter what business you're doing, that's what you get. So, I love America. Real toilets, real commodes with seats elevated, okay? And I also have to say that I am more thankful for air conditioning than any time in my life previously. There is air conditioning in Italy, but it's not as commonplace as here. And even where it is, it's not as cold as it is here. And folks, after spending three weeks in Italy, I'm going to tell you something. Don't ever complain about how cold the air conditioning in this room is again. Just be thankful we have it and we use it when it's 90 degrees outside. Something else that I didn't like that surprised me was how many people smoke cigarettes. I I didn't know that. Uh, Some of you will remember what it was like here 30 years ago. I mean, smoking is, is pretty common there. Men, women, young people, all ages. You'd be sitting in a restaurant or a street side cafe eating. Somebody come over and sit down beside you. Next thing you know, there's smoke everywhere. Uh, smoking was pretty pretty rampant there. And, and the other thing I, I really missed was uh, a place where I could get meat and three vegetables. After three weeks of pasta bread and, and, and uh, pizza, which is the staples of their diet, I, I, I have this just insatiable craving for vegetables. So we got home Thursday night. And Friday went out to restock the groceries and before that went to lunch at Mary's Cafe. I, ha- I had to get me some meat and green, you know, some vegetables. I had to have some, I had some corn. They, they grow all kinds of corn for livestock but none for humans. And, I'm, and so yesterday I put on a big kettle of half-runner green beans. I mean, I, I mean a big old mess up. And I threw the biggest piece of ham hock in that you've ever seen. And I cooked me some homemade green beans. Monisa fixed me some cornbread. I sliced onion and tomato, and I'm a happy man today. In fact, I'm going home for lunch, and I'm eating some more green beans. I'm just happy to have vegetables. A lot of fruit there, not vegetables. Not a lot anyway. There's other things, but for the most part, it was a great experience and things we loved. And 
you know, I've learned something. If you allow yourself to focus on the things you don't like, you'll end up being unhappy, miserable. And you'll make the people around you unhappy. That's an important lesson in life that focusing on the negative and what you don't like robs you of joy and robs you of peace and it robs others of those things as well. And, and we need to learn to focus on the positive. Now, I have to confess there were a few moments in our trip when I focused on, I really want some vegetables and I got frustrated or the room was too hot. and that was, I, I, So I let myself go there a few times and when I did it made me unhappy and it made my wife unhappy and that's a bad formula, okay? So I learned you focus on the positive. Just a good lesson in life. You, you're aware of the issues but, but don't live your life being a negative person. Don't live your life being an unhappy person focusing on the things that, that, that aren't great or that, that you don't like. And, and you need to apply that principle to your life, not just traveling overseas, but to, to life. It just makes a difference. And, and I want to say you need to apply that principle to how you think about, talk about, and act at church. Because every church is going to have things you don't like. Every church is going to have things you wish were different. And if you allow yourself to live there, I tell you what, you're going to be an unhappy person, you're going to be an unhappy Christian, and you're going to make the church unhappy, and you're going to make other believers in your Sunday school class and who hang out with you, you're going to make them unhappy too. And instead, learn to see what God is doing. Learn to see the blessings of God. Learn to see the opportunities that are in front of you. Be a positive, happy church member. And so the sermon series we're starting today, we're calling I Like My Church. And we're going to focus on that for the next five weeks. And I want to ask you a question. How does Jesus feel about this church? How does Jesus feel about his church? You remember what the scripture says? It tells us that Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That Jesus died on the cross, gave his life for the church, including this church, because he loves the church. Now, I don't think it's asking too much if, if Jesus loves the church. It's not asking too much for us to like the church, is it? And sometimes liking is harder than loving because we can say, oh, I love something and then still be negative. Liking is a bigger challenge. And so we're going to focus on learning to like Jesus' church. If Jesus loves the church, you and I can do the same. We can like it. Have you ever noticed when you like something, you take care of it? When you like another person, you're good to them, you help them. Uh, Tom and Celeste Reinhardt in our church drove Monisa and me to the airport three weeks ago and then came up Thursday evening to, to, to pick us up and bring us home. Um, and it was a real challenge for them on Thursday because we were about 15 minutes living, late leaving Philadelphia, our connection. And then once we landed in Charlotte, we were 15 minutes late, which is not too bad. But then we sat on the runway after we landed in Charlotte another 50 minutes because of issues with, with a gate being available. And after being on planes for 12 hours flying halfway around the world, the last thing you want to do is sit on a plane 12, you know, another hour after you get home. You just want off. You want home, you want your bed. But they had to wait up there well over an hour for us. But when you like people, you care about people, you help people, you do things like that. Yesterday yesterday morning, Manisa and I uh, 
went over to visit with Billy and Carol Hegwood at their home because Billy's mom, Jean Hegwood, died early yesterday morning. Late 80s, been an active, devout follower of Jesus, member of this church for decades, and now she's in glory. She's home with the Lord. So we went by the house, and when we walked in, I noticed out of the corner of my eye to the left down the hallway, Betsy Williams, one of their friends in there running the vacuum cleaner uh, in, in the bedroom, cleaning the house. Because when you like people, you care about people, you do stuff like that. You, you serve, you help, you, you, you support them. And be, being a New Testament Christian, being a New Testament church member, it's, it's the same thing. As, as a New Testament follower of Jesus Christ, as a part of a local New Testament church, you like the church, you love the church, and that means you're going to help the church. That means you're going to be a, a servant to the church. You're going to do what is good for your church. You're, you're going to do what Jesus expects you as a follower of his, what he expects you as a member of the church to do. And so in this sermon series, we're going to look at some of the ways that, that we express our love for the church, our liking the church, some of the ways we care for the church and help the church. And What are some of those expectations Jesus has for us as his followers as it relates to the church? And talk about some reasons to like the church. Today, and the few moments I have left, I want to focus on, on, on this when it comes to liking the church and, and, and ways you can help the church serve the church, be good to the church. And it's this, be a giver, not a taker. Be a giver, not a taker. And be a servant, not a customer. Be a servant, not a customer. I used ATM machine a lot in Italy. The church is not an ATM machine where you just take church is a place to give. That's the New Testament principle. Customers. The church is not a mall. It's not Walmart. It's not looking for where you get the best deal. It's not a store where you shop. You're not a customer. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're a servant. And there's a huge difference in being a servant and being a customer. And too many of us bring to the church the mentality of being a taker, not a giver, of being a customer, not a servant. And it's unbiblical. And when you love the church, when you like the church the way Jesus says, part of that expectation is you're a giver, not a taker. You're, you're a servant, not a customer. Do, do you remember what Jesus said about following him about life? Jesus said the greatest if you want to be great, the greatest among you will be what? Are y'all with me? Are you tracking with me? The greatest will be a servant. A servant. Now, if that's the principle Jesus gives us for living, and by the way, you apply that principle to life, what about your marriage? Which marriages are healthier where both partners are takers or givers? Where both partners are about me or about serving the needs of their spouse. That's a principle for living, a principle for life, to be a servant. 
If you want to be great in life, if you want to succeed in life, learn to be a servant. Well, folks, that principle applies to how you and I live and act and talk and do as a member of the body of Christ, as a part of a local New Testament church, that we in this church, you as a part of this family of faith, are to be a giver, not a taker, a servant, not a customer. That's the mentality Jesus says we live with. That's one of the expectations he has for us as his followers. So let me ask you a question. Did Jesus set the example of being a servant? Did he set an example of being a giver? What happened when Jesus died on the cross? When when Jesus was giving his very life on the cross, who was he doing that for? For himself or for us? It wasn't for his benefit. He gained nothing from that. We gained from that. You remember when Jesus met with his disciples the evening before his crucifixion and he instituted the Lord's Supper? And he got on his knees and he he washed their feet. Because in that day, people wore sandals. The roads were dirty. Your feet got dirty when you came into a house or a business. It was customary to clean your feet. Usually there was a servant, a slave, who would do that. It was a menial task. The master, the, the owner would never do that. And here's Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, on his knees, washing his disciples' feet. That's the reason in the Scripture they're so taken taken aback by it. Because he was illustrating for them that in our relationships with one another, it's not about me, it's not about taking, it's not about consumerism, it's about giving, it's about serving. And if you're a New Testament church member, that's how you act. That's how you think as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to take your Bible, if you would, please, and open it to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Because in this passage, God describes the church as a body. He uses the human body as an analogy, a word picture. And he says the church is the body. And just like your physical body has different parts, fingers, fists, Arms, eye, nose, ear, feet, knees, etc. All the parts of your human body. He said the church is one body, but it's got all these different parts. The different members, you, me, the different ones of us, are different parts of that body. And in this chapter, he describes the mentality we're supposed to have, the, the approach we're supposed to bring to being part of the body of believers. And as part of this church, of this body. Of believers. Have you ever noticed when babies are born how we pay attention to every little part of their body? That's a picture of Liliana, our granddaughter, who was born the other day that I took. And you ever notice with little babies, you look at their little fingers, right, and you, you touch them and they're fragile, but those little fingers, you know, normally in life you don't look at people's fingers, but little babies you look at their fingers, right? And you'll, you'll, look, you'll look at their lips and, 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 and their toes and and their legs that aren't quite straight, you know, you just, you, you notice all those little things. I mean, in life, you don't go through life look, looking at other people's feet and toes. You just, you know, you just don't do it. You know, that's not the prettiest part of the human anatomy. But with little babies, you focus on it. And what God is telling us in this passage we're going to look at is that the church is like a body and all those parts of it, the fingers, the toes, the ankles, the knees, every part of it, makes up the whole. 
And each part has a function, has a role. And when one part of your body doesn't function properly, the body suffers. And when you don't function the way God has ordained for you as his follower and as a member of this body, when you don't function the way he's ordained for you to function, this body of believers, this church suffers. And it's not the church's fault, it's your fault for not functioning the way you're supposed to function. Now, we don't have time to study the entire chapter 12, but I want us to look at certain verses I want to highlight. If you have your Bible open, please. He starts in chapter 12, verse 1, saying, I'm talking about spiritual gifts, these abilities and talents and skills that God gives you when you become a believer. You're born with certain skills. Then when you get saved, God gives you additional skills. They're his gift to you. And you have those. You may know what they are. You may not know what they are, but you have talents, abilities, skills, etc., and he says in verse 4, there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. In other words, we don't all have the same spiritual gifts. We don't all have the same talents and skills. We're all different. But it's the same Holy Spirit who gives us those skills. So whatever skills and talents I have, he gave them to me. Whatever skills and talents you have, he gave them to you. And there's a variety of them. We're not all the same. And so it's wrong for us to expect everybody to have the same disposition, the same personality, the same passion, the same talents, the same skills, the same interest. We're all different. That's the way God made us. That's the way God made this world. Look at verse 5. He says not only different gifts, but he says there's a, a variety of ministries or services, but the same Lord. In other words, there's not just one ministry. There are many ministries, many ways to serve in the church and it's the Lord Jesus Christ who gives us these various ministries and here's the thing two people can have the same spiritual gift but they may serve in different ministries because spiritual gifts can be used in different ministries okay not everyone in a particular ministry has the same gift so don't expect Everybody who has a talent you have to use it the same way you do. The Lord Jesus not only gives different gifts, but he gives different ministries. You tracking with me? Now he continues. Look at verse 6. There's a variety of, of effects or outcomes or results, but the same God who works all of this. So there's, there's different fruit, different results, different things that God accomplishes. If we all had the same gift and we all served in the same ministry, and we all did it with the same passion and in the same way, we'd get results, but it would be more narrow. And so God's put the body together in this diverse way to do more than could ever be done if we were all identical doing the same thing the same way. Now here's the thing. Somebody, have you ever seen somebody who got really passionate about something, and because they were passionate about it, they thought everybody else should be just as passionate as they are about their particular passion? You ever seen anybody like that? Sometimes church members get why I don't understand why everybody in the church doesn't do this because that's what they're passionate about. And yet that kind of mentality goes contrary to the very teaching in this chapter. It's contrary to the very way God created the universe, which is diverse. And aren't you grateful this is a beautiful, diverse planet He created for us to, to enjoy? I am. So this is God's doing. Now here's the kicker. Look at verse 7. 
To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. So whatever spiritual gift you have, whatever service or ministry you have, and whatever the results are, God has given that to you by the Holy Spirit for the what at the end of verse 7? The common good. Now here's the kicker. The talents God has given you, the skills and the passions are not primarily for your personal enjoyment. Will you enjoy them? Yes. Do I enjoy preaching? Absolutely. Have a blast when I preach. But it's not primarily for my enjoyment or for yours. It is for the common good. And what God is saying is, I put you together the way I put you together so you could be a blessing to my church. So you could like my church, be a friend to my church, help my church, be good to my church, help my kingdom. God says, I did it. And that's why I did it. And when you like someone, you're good to them. You help them. When you like someone, you take, when you like something, you take care of it. Same thing is true with the church. And God says the way you help the church take care of the church is you serve. You're not a customer. You're a servant. You're not a taker. You're a giver. And it's for the common good. And we're all needed. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, in verse 22, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Most of you don't have the ability to stand up here and do what I'm doing right now. That's not your gift. But you have gifts. And they matter. The ones playing back here in the band today matter the guys up there that sometimes get fussed at if the sound's not right pushing those buttons it matters it matters and the skills and talents god's given you the gifts he's given you it matters what are you doing with them to 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 be a friend to this church to like this church to be good to this church to help this church are you are you a giver or just a taker a servant or a consumer. New Testament church membership is very different than being a member of, say, a country club where you, you pay your dues. And with that comes privileges and expectations and rights. Your times and your financial gifts to this church are not dues. They're gifts to God. They belong to God. And they don't bring to you any privileges or rights. They're an act of service and love to Jesus Christ. Membership is the opposite. Membership in the body of Christ, membership in the church is the opposite. It's about serving. It's about the kingdom. And sometimes we get that backwards. And Jesus is reminding us 
of what he says a New Testament follower is. When we were flying to Rome the other day, I noticed in the middle of the flight there was all this commotion. And the flight attendants were all gathering around a restroom, one of the, you know, the restrooms on the plane, the, the, the toilets. And, and at first I thought, well, maybe somebody had a, you know, a physical condition, something happened. But that wasn't it. Because they were all talking and they collected the, the trash from that restroom. And one of them got in the face of this guy and was reading him the riot act. Because what he had done was this middle-aged man in the middle of our flight to Rome had gone into the lavatory and he'd smoked a cigarette, which is a federal crime. And on the plane, it's well, you know, visible, no smoking. Pre-flight announcements, no smoking, smoke detectors in, in those restrooms. But this dude decides to go in there and say, the rules don't apply to me. I'll get away with it. I'll do what I... I don't know if he was addicted or what. I don't really care. It was all about himself. And as I understand, there's pretty, pretty hefty fines and stuff that come with doing that. So he deserves it. But there's some people who approach being part of a church like that. It's what I want. I'm going to do what I want to do. And God says, no, you love the church. You like the church. And you're there for its common good to help, to make a difference because people in this world are desperately lost. And they need a healthy church. This community needs every healthy church that is possible to exist. We need every church in Rock Hill to be healthy. We need this church to be healthy. And it cannot and will not be healthy if you don't function the way God has ordained you as a part of this body are supposed to function. So I want to encourage you to like this church, to help this church to be a, a giver, not a taker, etc., in two ways. As I wrap this up. The first one is, is to serve. Find a way to serve. Don't, don't wait for someone to ask you. I had a lady before our first service this morning come and say, hey, I want to volunteer to do such and such. Stop. So nobody's ever asked me. Stop waiting. To, just volunteer. That's your responsibility. Step up and say, I want to help. And find a way to plug in. Serve. And by the way, I want to say thank you. The dental access days coming up, what, two weeks now, I guess? Maybe 1,500 people here getting free dental care. God's going to do some incredible stuff, not only to help people physically, but as we just love on them in Jesus' name that weekend. We said from our church alone we needed 300 volunteers for this event to go smoothly. We already have 270 of you signed up. Praise Jesus for that. Thank you so much. Give, give God a hand for that. That is phenomenal. Now, if you want to help, See Terry out there in the lobby after the service. We need you early Friday morning or early Saturday morning. All the other slots are full. Early Friday morning, and by early, I mean early. You can go to breakfast after you get done early, okay? Early Friday morning or early Saturday Saturday morning. So thank you for that. And, and the second thing I want to ask you to do is this. Brag on your church. It's what Will was talking about earlier this morning. I tell you, so many times I'm out in restaurants and places that I hear people who are Christians and members of the church sitting at the table next to me and they're bad-mouthing their church. 
And I'm not the only one here. And I never have understood why Christians want to go out in public and talk negative about their church, not understanding that every time they do that, they're hurting the kingdom of God. They're hurting their church. They're giving Jesus a bad name. And lost people who are going to hell already have enough excuses not to come to church. Why would you dare give them another one? So if you're somebody who's prone to talk negative about your church out there in the community, I'm telling you in Jesus' name right now, stop it. It's a sin before God. You're hurting the family of God, the cause of God, the kingdom of God, the church of God. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And instead start bragging on your church. If you think you're going to find a perfect one, wake up. There's not one this side of glory. You may not like the toilets in this church, but there's a lot of good in this church, okay? You get my drift, don't you? You can always find something to be negative about if, you, if that's the kind of person you want to be. But if you want to see where God's at work, you can see it because God's always at work. It's the attitude and approach we bring to our experiences in the church that matters. And even when we mess up, the attitude helps us recover. But the wrong attitude means we're not going to recover. So brag on your church. And I want you to get some of these T-shirts. We had 2,000 T-shirts out here this morning. You can get blue one, green one, both of them, two of them, three of them, five of them. I don't care. All kinds of sides. Just get them and wear them. Not only during this sermon series, but just wear them out there. You go to the ball game, wear your T-shirt. Some of you are shy and you say, I have a hard time talking about Jesus in public. Well, wear this T-shirt and somebody's going to ask you and then you'll have an easy time, okay? Because they ask you, so get your T-shirts. If you can give us a $5 donation, great. If you have no money, just take a T-shirt. doesn't matter. If some of you are blessed and can give more than five to help cover the cost of those who can't, do that as well. There's baskets on the table. When we're done, just go over there and get you as many T-shirts of all the different colors and sizes as you want. Put your donation in the baskets. Wear them. And more important than wearing them here on Sunday is wear them out there in the community. So people will know you are a follower of Christ, part of a church, and they'll ask you about it. Can you do that? Can you do that? You get you a T-shirt, okay, and, um, and, and wear it. And if you get spaghetti on it and it gets dirty, come back and get another one. It's all right. All right, let me wrap this up. I want to end by asking you a question. If you looked at a continuum, and over here is I'm a taker. Over here is the country club mentality over here is I'm a consumer I'm a customer and on this end I'm a servant I'm a giver I'm a friend I help I take care of where are you on that continuum not where do you want to be where are you in reality, on that continuum. Where are you? Let me ask it a different way. When people listen to you talk about church, when people listen to you talk about your church, do they get the impression you like your church or not? So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to change?
to stand.